Welcome to the One Haas Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Elijah Talley, West Coast Growth Relationship Manager at Zimba Technologies and Founder and Executive Director at The Connection. Elijah is a Haas MBA 2023 and an experienced leader and executive. Elijah's background includes serving as a captain in the U.S. Army, founding The Connection with the mission to advocate for African-American students pursuing higher education, and as a consortium fellow and MLT Management Leadership for Tomorrow Professional Development Fellow here at Haas. Elijah, welcome and great to have you on the show. Hey, Chris, great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. We start the podcast typically by talking about people's origin story. You know, you studied systems engineering at West Point, the U.S. Military Academy. You know, you were an army officer and also founded the the Connection. And now you're at Haas here for the MBA as a consortium fellow and also MLT professional development fellow. You've already accomplished so much. You know, where did your story begin? And did you know all of this would happen when you were growing up? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Sometimes I wake up and I still feel like I'm in a dream and then I snap out of it and get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so the origin story, I'm kind of from all over, mm. but I claim Texas mm. to peel the layers back. I was actually born in Panama City, Panama. Uh, my father was an enlisted soldier in the army and uh, we were stationed down there in the 90s back when the army had an active base. Despite being born in Panama and you know, having a dual citizenship. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to um, experience the local culture, more importantly, the food, um, because I was a newborn. We were there for about three months, and then our family took off back to the States. So I spent the first 10 or so years actually in the Midwest in Indiana, mm -hmm. and then started middle school through high school in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. So that's where I spent my most formidable years, mm -hmm. adult life, had my network of friends, high school friends, and now professionals as well. Mm -hmm. So every time I get a chance to shout out Texas, mm -hmm. you, can, you can count on me to do so. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. One of the inflection points for a lot of us at Haas is, you know, going to college, you know, for a lot of folks, it's a, either a, a really stressful time or also a really critical time. For you, Elijah, you went to a very prestigious school, you know, West Point, the U.S. Military Academy. Yeah. You know, how did you find out about West Point and um, what was that application process like to apply to a service academy? So I actually had a pretty hard time, as most, on their path to uh, West Point mm. because I really wasn't sure what I was doing. Mm. And at the time, this was kind of a big deal for our family. It would be the first person in my immediate family who is applying to West Point, who's applying to complete a four-year institution oh, wow. and applying to become an army officer all at the same time. Oh, wow. There was somebody who was assigned to me. So every, when you open up an application as a West Point applicant, mm -hmm. you get assigned essentially a liaison from the academy. And that could be an alumni. It could be somebody who's in the inactive ready reserve. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was an alumni. And um, I remember a specific conversation that I had with that person. Mm -hmm. It was at a Starbucks in San Antonio. Oh, wow. You know, my Angelo says that you don't always remember what somebody said, mm -hmm. but you remember how that person made you feel. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking away from that conversation. This person was my representation of West Point. And I remember walking from that conversation after hearing this person saying more or less words, Elijah, you are not West Point material. Oh, wow. This is not the place for you. And on your best day, you might be a good candidate for the prep school, but that's not very likely. You know, I kind of sat with that for a day or two, mm -hmm. right? I threw my little pity party. Mm. And then I decided that, 
No one's going to tell me what I can't do. Wow. I'm going to leave that up to the academy. Mm. And thank goodness that that was the information that I got at the time because only thing that that did, Chris, was motivate me to try harder. Oh, wow. To go faster. You know, pride is pride is something else. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, because I was dead set on proving this guy wrong. Mm. And, and thank God I was mm. because, you know, I ended up earning admission to the academy. And I was really excited to go there and embark on the new opportunity. Now, to answer your question, the application in and of itself, I mean, it's, it's about a year long process mm -hmm. all said and done. Everything's online now. So it starts with the online application as most colleges. The good thing about this one is it's hundred percent free. And essentially we're looking at the, the exact same data points that the majority of institutions look for mm -hmm. grades, GPA, SAT or ACT scores. Mm -hmm. But also, there's so many other layers to this application. There's a physical fitness test. Some of those events include pull-ups, push-ups, a basketball throw, a shuttle run, a one-mile run. There's a medical exam, mm. right? So when you go to the academy, it's, you know, it is the true definition of a full-ride scholarship because you don't pay for anything to include medical. Oh, wow. So before the military, whichever branch that anybody's applying to, for me, specifically the Army, mm. they had to make sure that I was medically ready to join the Army and they were taking me on because I would be covered under the Army medical system moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it's also, you know, some people say this lightheartedly, like it's an act of Congress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In this case, it actually is an act of Congress because yeah. you do have yeah, to get yeah. a congressional appointment or a presidential appointment mm. to the Academy. Yeah, absolutely. What was that experience like when you finally got on campus and going from day one to then finally graduating from the academy? What a great question. I'm sure that you, you've heard this before if you talk to another academy grad, but it's at the time, it seems extremely hard. Some alumni say it's not a great place to be at, but it's an awesome place to be from. Mm. And that definitely resonates because I think every West Point cadet has this idea of what life would have been. <laughs> If they hadn't come to the academy, mm. you know, especially now cadets in the age of Instagram and Facebook, mm. you know, they're probably a lot of, there's a lot of FOMO, mm. you know, when they see their peers at civilian institutions, just having the time of their life. So it's, it's definitely tough. But one thing I will say about the academy is it really forced me to grow up fast. It forced me to grow up extremely fast. And the good thing about West Point is that everybody at the academy is just as motivated as you are. Mm. So it's almost like an incubator when you get into a room with a thousand year classmates and everybody's motivated. You just continue to push yourself and push yourself and push yourself. But in full transparency, I struggle with imposter syndrome very, very, very heavy mm. at the academy. There were some days where I, I just felt like, you know, in class, I had to be the dumbest guy in the room. Um, these kids were just so smart. My classmates were just so smart, but. That feeling that I didn't belong in the same space and that I was, you know, not as smart as my classmates kind of served as a motivator for me to try just that much harder to feel like I was on par with my classmates mm -hmm. and to push myself as hard as I can go and get the, get the best experience out of the academy that I possibly could. I think that everybody goes through that in some form or fashion at the academy. Mm -hmm. It has a very special way of testing you mentally and physically, but, but definitely keen on the mentally. And that's why for most graduates, graduation day for me, May 21st, 2016, I mean, that was one of the happiest days of my life. 
by far, by far, because West Point was the hardest thing that I'd done up to that point. And it was a major, major achievement for me. And I knew that in that moment when I was standing in Mikey Field throwing up my white cap, that I had changed generations of Tadleys and Rogers to come. Wow. Once I got into my full-time role, I realized why West Point was forcing me to grow up so fast. Mm. So I, I graduated the academy. I got 60 days of leave as most academy grads do. Mm. I showed up to Fort Hood mm. um, a little bit later on a Friday. And by Monday, I was on a plane getting ready to deploy. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't really have time to blink or think. I think, as a matter of fact, I'd had a conversation with the commander at the time. And, you know, he's pretty much said, hey, don't unpack your bags. Oh, wow. We got a seat for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's coming out of out of the incubator that is West Point mm. and immediately being thrust into the, the leadership position mm. that I've been training for for four years at the academy. You know, I started looking through all my old notes like, man, I, I got to remember all this leadership stuff that I learned at the academy because it's game time. Mm. You know what I mean? I've got to start putting a lot of this stuff into practice. Mm. As an army leader, you are in charge of every aspect, your troops' life and the mission. Mm. And by that, I mean, as a ballistic missile defender, when I was one shift, I was the point of contact for things going on in the sky. Mm. If that was bad things, if that was good things. And a lot of the time we had, it was extremely high visibility mm -mm. because tactical ballistic missiles are small things that you can avoid. Mm. We had to be on 100% of the time mm -mm. and we couldn't miss. Mm. So we trained a lot. Mm. We trained a lot, which means that I had to get spun up on my position fast. I had to make sure that my soldiers were proficient. Mm. I had to make sure that, that they were healthy, physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally. Mm. And in army leadership and specifically on a line unit, meaning an active unit that's doing a combat mission, I mean, you're in every aspect of a troop's life. I've had soldiers go through divorces where I had to look at some of the paperwork and ensure that my soldier wasn't getting burned as him and his partner separated ways. As soldiers get their cars repossessed and kind of look at me like, sir, what am I supposed to do? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I'm looking at a 30-year-old grown-up and myself at the time, 22, like, well, I, I don't know, but we'll figure this thing out together. So you're definitely, in one way or another, you're touching every aspect of your troops' lives. And that's what was, it was so special to me because it got so personal. We became so close as a unit. And we did such a good job. We worked hard, we played hard, and I think that's what I miss most about the Army. But that was my life as a young lieutenant, as an air defender. You also started an organization, The Connection, while you were still in the military. Can you explain a bit what that was like, having your day job, kind of managing the folks under you as an Army officer, but then also starting this other organization that also has incredible impact on, on other folks? Yeah, so The Connection. Man, that's my passion right there. That's a true passion project. So a little bit of context behind the connection. So I was doing ballistic missile defense for about three and a half years in Fort Hood, Texas. And then I got selected to come back to the academy as one of five lieutenants out of my year group to come back to the academy and do diversity admissions. Mm. And that job was just extremely rewarding because I was able this time to be an advocate for people who looked like me, for students in that same situation, mm. if they were sitting at their respective Starbucks in their hometown, mm. having a conversation with somebody about West Point, mm. it was with me. Mm. And 
that conversation was an inspirational part, mm. not a deterrent. Mm. It was, you do belong here mm -hmm. and let me help you get to the academy mm. and let me show you that you belong here. But also in that role, it really disturbed me to my core, the lack of resources and opportunities that some of my candidates had. I was in charge of the, the Southwest region of the United States, mm. and that's everything as far West as New Mexico, as far East as Tennessee, North as Kansas, and all the way down through Texas. Oh, wow. So all in all is about 86 congressional districts. And those were the students that I serviced in those areas. Mm. This was pre-pandemic. So it was two to three weeks on the road, traveling, you know, in their hometowns, going to schools and community events. So I got a pretty up close and personal, you know, meeting a lot of my candidates. And on paper, you would think that these students aren't qualified to get into the academy or college at all. When I started to see their specific circumstances, man, it just, it really just did something to my spirit. You know, I had students who were valedictorians and captain of the football team, all of the stuff that West Point looks for. Mm -hmm. But in a very real sense, I had a conversation was like, hey, man, your test scores are not where they need to be. What's going on? He said, well, I love to take time and study this test and I love to take it multiple times, but I don't have the time because I'm bagging groceries to pay for groceries and haircuts for my brothers. And I don't have enough money to keep taking this test and I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Chris, it moves me. Yeah. It moved me. Absolutely. And then I want to highlight somebody who maybe they'll find out through this podcast how inspirational they were as for the genesis of the connection. Mm. That person is Kendrick Vaughn. Mm. Kendrick Vaughn, a fellow Hasi. I was working for him at the time in the diversity admissions office. Kenny has a way of putting you in the matrix with these very simple questions. Mm. But right when I was feeling so much disturbance in my spirit in this situation that a lot of my candidates were in, mm. Kenny kind of had a conversation with me and he said, you know, what, what's your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? You had all the money that, that your heart could desire. You had all of the material things that your heart could desire. When you leave this earth, what do you want your tombstone to say? Mm. And then that question I reflected on, I chewed on it. And I had this idea that I wanted to do something for my candidates. Mm. And it seemed like that was just the, the mental push that I needed. So the connection started off as the Elijah J. Talley Scholarship Fund. And it was a mm. Facebook page and a promise. My wife and I, we decided to give, you know, basically a thousand dollars away. And I called a bunch of family members and said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Would you like to contribute some money to join? Overnight, we doubled it. So we had raised another thousand dollars that we were going to give to, we didn't even know at the time how we were going to select somebody, mm. but it was just this need to do something. It was just the need to get involved and help a student of color with a problem. Mm. Well, it turns out, Chris, you can only ask people for money so many times yeah. before they start looking <laughs> for tax-deductible donations. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. So I kind of reached a crossroads where I decided in order to make a real impact, we have to get serious about this thing. Mm. And um, in January of 20, we became a federally recognized 501c3 nonprofit mm. organization, Texas-based. We specifically provide material assistance, think mm -hmm. laptops, computers, all of the things that normally get or are not included in a normal full tuition package. Mm. So I would say that's like the, the first stage of our fellowship. And then mm. the second stage, which is arguably more important, mm -hmm. is we, we're really deliberate about mentorship. Mm. We're extremely deliberate about mentorship. Mm -hmm. I can tell you now we have a fellow African-American student in Central Texas who's got aspirations to be on the Supreme Court. 
Mm. And Chris, I could tell you, you know, for the rest of this podcast, why that's amazing for him to be so young and have that mindset. Mm. And his mentor is an extremely accomplished lawyer. He's a partner at his firm at one of the largest law firms in New York. Mm. And these are the type of relationships that we're facilitating. We're wow. starting this conversation way early. You know, what does a day in the life look? What classes mm. did you have to take? What books mm. are you reading? What do you like about being a lawyer? What don't you like about being a lawyer? And just really kind of forcing these informational interview type conversations earlier mm. on in, in the youth of African-American lives to try to give them a competitive advantage mm. and get them thinking about the future just a little bit earlier mm. than they normally would. Anybody who would have seen the arc of your life up until that point would have said, oh, you, you don't need to get an MBA. <laughs> You're already <laughs> an executive leader of this organization and we're an accomplished officer. Yeah. You're racking the great questions, Chris. So <laughs> the transition came about because of my relationship with my wife. Mm. You know, when I joined West Point, I had this thing in mind where I'd be a bachelor till I was 35. And air defense as a branch in the army is by far one of the most deployed branches mm. consistently gotcha. in the army. So my values just changed. Mm. I don't love the army any less. Mm. You know, I appreciate that experience. Mm -hmm. I appreciate my West Point experience, the camaraderie, my classmates, those are bonds for life. Mm. But honestly, Chris, my values had just changed. Mm. You know, I wanted a little bit more control over my schedule mm. because the churn was starting to look like, you know, I was going to be deployed every other year. Mm. That's not something that I want it for myself or my family. Mm. It was actually a conversation with another Hasi. Mm. There's another Hasi by the name of Jeff Easter. Mm -mm. Jeff was in the West Point admissions position in route to Haas mm. as I showed up to take, essentially take his job. Oh, wow. I didn't know Jeff at the time, but Jeff asked me what I was going to do. Hey, what are you thinking about for the army? And I think I told him something to the effect of, I'm not sure how long I'm going to stay in, but I think a pivot is coming on the horizon here soon. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Chris, Jeff sat me down for all the folks who have gone to West Point, know the Academy. There's a little McDonald's right outside the Bayer gate. And Jeff sat me down at that at McDonald's and we chatted for probably three hours. Oh, wow. And he just explained to me all of the pros and cons of transitioning the army with an MBA mm. because he had just gone through the process. Mm -hmm. He had just gone through and then accepted the consortium. He was an MLT fellow. Mm. So he was hot on a lot of this knowledge and just gave me his hot takes. And he said, hey man, I know this is something that people don't often talk about, but this is an opportunity for you. Mm. And this is an opportunity I think that you should look into. You don't have to come to house, but you definitely need to take a look at the MBA transition. Mm. I wasn't convinced at that moment, but the more research I did, it just started to make more and more sense mm. that that was a time to transition and specifically house. And I started to notice this arc throughout my story that Hasi's always made time for me. Mm. Hasi's always made time for me. And I would say, even in my experience here as a current student, that has continued to be a consistent log lie. Hasi's mm. make time for, and it doesn't even just have to be Hasi's. No. <laughs> but yeah. Hasi's just make time for people. Oh yeah. Hasi's care about humans. And I just love that so much. Mm. During my exploratory phase, when I was looking at different MBA programs, I was really concerned about the culture. Mm. I work best in collaborative environments, and I'm not a huge fan of the dog-eat-dog -dog mentality. We're all competing for a very small set of 
of slots, billets, positions, whatever you want to call it. And every time I got on the warrant with the Hasi, it was just a great conversation. Mm. I talked to the Vets Club and it was just so much outpouring of resources, advice, and it was the culture that got me, Chris. Mm. <laughs> it was for sure the culture that got me. What was that like? moving out here, especially during the pandemic. And then also in your case, you, you've done a couple of great internships and work experience. You know, what was that like as part of your story and journey here at Haas? So it was the first time I was going to live in California. I'd visited a long time ago, but as a Texan, I always knew Californians mm -hmm. because when Californians run out of money, they moved to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. So, so I was very curious to embark on this new journey and quite frankly, to see what all the hubbub was about. And I get it because this is a place where I think I'm going to plant my feet. And I've only been here a year, but I can confidently make that decision that, you know, my wife and I, we just really love the environment. We love the culture. Way more sunshine than we were getting in New York. Yep. The vibes, the people, the food, aside from the obvious elephant in the room being incredibly expensive to live, this is a really good place to kind of hang out. And my partner and I, we've lived in quite a few places in the United States. And so far, this is by a long shot our favorite. Could you talk a bit about what it was like going through the job process? You know, that the internship process is a big part of the, the Haas experience and any MBA experience for that matter. Yes, absolutely. So knowing that business school is not something that I was, I kind of felt like I was not prepared for it. Not that I wasn't able, but just you know, ballistic missile defense is, is very specific thing. And diversity admissions is also another very specific thing. Never had seen a cash flow statement or a balance sheet or accounting or anything of that nature. I was very nervous about embarking on this MBA journey, feeling mm -hmm. like, you know, my classmates would be all prior business professionals and, you know, would just be able to pick up and they would just fly right by me. So mm -hmm. as soon as I got the word, I got the word that I'd been accepted to Haas in March. And I started recruiting for an internship almost immediately. Oh, wow. And that same month, I got the word on March 25th. By March 26th, I was making phone calls. Oh, wow. Having informational interviews and chats. You know, I leaned on a, on a lot of my friends who are in business currently, and I leveraged their experience. There's some folks in my network who are military and now in business, mm. and I asked them the exact same question. What was your journey like? What was your discovery like? I probably did over 50 informational interviews, just talking to folks about their transition, what went right, what went wrong. Thanks to that conversation I had with Jeff at McDonald's, you know, I learned about MLT, MBA prep, MLT PD and the consortium. Mm. And MLT was pretty robust as far as giving me opportunities to recruit very early. I mean, I was doing interviews and I was saying months before I even got on started to make the physical transition from the East Coast to the West Coast. Oh, wow. You know, I'd already had maybe 15 interviews under my belt. Oh, wow. That's awesome. But it was not awesome no. <laughs> because I, I bombed like 10 of those 15 interviews. But it was a great learning experience, Chris, because every single time I bombed one of those interviews, I found another knowledge gap. Mm. And I just took very detailed and copious notes about all of these knowledge gaps that I was discovering, the specific questions that I was being asked that I didn't understand or didn't even have a, a, a foundational or process focused way to answer their question. I would just make copious notes about that. I also took very, very specific detail on how these interviews were being 
done. Mm, interesting. Because I thought that that gave great insight into the actual company and or industry itself. Mm. Because I was spread across a wide, you know, I interviewed for CPG, corporate finance, real estate, and tech all at the same time. So as a career switcher, I just kind of told myself that I would leave every, absolutely every door open and then just go in my heart. If the interview process or if the people or if something was off or just wasn't giving me energy, then I just continue to look in, in the other different directions. So I would say of those 15 interviews, I ended up getting four offers before I even walked into Knox. Oh, wow. That's awesome. You're at Zimba Technologies now. You want to share with us a bit about what that experience has been like and um, how is that informing what you're thinking about doing post MBA? Yeah. One thing that I, I truly love about being a, a Haas MBA is the amount of opportunity that's here at this place. Mm. I mean, I had a, a, a lot of levers to do things in the army at the level that I was at, but in a very real sense, I truly feel like being a Haas MBA and that the world is, is your oyster. And to answer your question a little bit more directly, Chris, I still really don't know mm. what I want to do post MBA yep. because I have my hands in so many things. Zimba is very, very near and dear to me as well. Um, although a recent development, it's the CEO is, is one of my best friends. Also a uh, West Point grad, same class. And he, you know, he believes enough in me and, and his role to bring me on as a West Crow's growth relationship manager. At Zimba, I manage relationship between stakeholders, influencers, potential investors, different institutions, network, lobby, and essentially build the community around our brand and our product. Mm -hmm. And again, it's extremely fulfilling work. It's a Ugandan fintech company. So working in an emerging market, really delivering a product to them that makes sense for them. That's, it's not one of those products that we're going there just to make money. Mm. We're also there to provide some real utility to the folks who need it. That's going to improve their quality of life. So I would say, you know, just the, the log line across the board is that Haas has given me an opportunity to truly spread my wings and explore different things in a non-committal way. And I'm still discovering what I'm interested in. I'm still discovering what gives me energy. And I'm hoping through this next, this next year, I'll have it all figured out. Absolutely. Yeah, Elijah, you know, one of the things we do is uh, we give the time for, you know, our guests to talk about a cause or a program that they want to advocate for. Or they, they'd like the Haas community to learn more about. One of the things I know that's close to you is the connection and, and some of the work that you and the organization are doing now. Yes, that's an amazing question. We are always looking for mentors for our organization. We are always looking for new resources and opportunities, potential partnerships, and for folks who want to donate, all of these things can be done through our page. You go to www.theconnection.org, you'll find all our information. You can subscribe to our newsletter and quite frankly, you can just get involved. You can just get involved. If you love lending a hand, helping the youth win, that's what we're all about. We're about making the world just a little bit more equitable, little by little. Yeah, absolutely. As we close, Elijah, you know, one of the things we do uh, per our tradition is uh, a lightning round. Uh, a couple of fun uh, questions. Let's do it. All right. So the favorite question you know in your experience what's been your favorite place to eat while at berkeley easy there's a spot it's kind of in the cut by the yogurt place but it's called shinlin mm. 
the the owner's name is Jason. The only reason I know the owner is because I'm there so much. <laughs> and it's um it's just like it's like a street snack, but it's like it's popcorn chicken. Mm. But it's the best popcorn chicken I ever had. Arguably, it's probably the best popcorn chicken any anybody's ever had. Oh, so wow. it's like this little hidden gem. The people who know about it know about it, and the people who go to lunch with me they definitely know about it because we're there. <laughs> multiple times a month you know it's kind of to the point where i walk in i'm like jason what's up man and he just he starts making the order but um you will not be sorry if you pop into shitlin all right another question what's a one piece of advice that you would give to somebody either personal or professional advice don't close any doors don't close any doors for whatever reason folks who may be listening to this podcast or just professionals in general we set deadlines arbitrarily. We get on this one track sometimes. So many things in this Haas experience in the army, just serendipitous conversations, something that may not look like an opportunity or something that just starts off as a, as a very small conversation. It may turn into a whole nonprofit. <laughs> mm. So always keep your options open. I try to say yes to as many things as I can just because of new opportunities, new experiences. And just keeping the doors open, you know, and truly being open to where life may take you or your next experience. Absolutely. Our last question, what's one thing that gets you excited about the future? Honestly, Chris, it's opportunity. Mm. It's truly opportunity. For the first time in my life, you know, I feel like I can truly participate in this American dream that I've been hearing about. I'm very excited about it. I feel like we tell kids that they can be anything they want to be. Well, I kind of feel that right now, but I feel like these experiences have, have culminated into this feeling where I feel like I can just tackle anything that I want to tackle. If it's a nonprofit, if it's real estate, if it's tech, if I want to start my own business or, or whatever I want to do, it's that opportunity that I'm really latching on to. And that's what gives me energy every day that I wake up, Chris. Well, Elijah, it's been great to have you on the show. I want to say thanks again and wish you all the best in the future. Go Bears. Go Bears. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley House podcasts. And until next time, go Bears.